ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. I want to start today's Future Tense with a quote from the internationally renowned Chinese contemporary artist Ai Weiwei. He's an activist, a dissident, with what many of us who appreciate artistic expression would regard as a highly original mind. Hello, Anthony Fennell here. Let me just set the scene. Ai Weiwei has got a new project coming up involving a collaboration with artificial intelligence. And so he was asked recently to write an opinion piece for The Guardian on AI and art. Here's the quote. He writes... AI, despite all the information it obtains from human experience, lacks the imagination and, most importantly, the human will with its potential for beauty, creativity and the possibility of making mistakes. While AI generates outputs characterised by rationality, it inherently lacks the depth of human experience, original ideas and creativity. Now, we use the word creativity all the time in discussing the potential and limits of artificial intelligence. It's often described as a marker, an attribute that sets us apart from the machines. But what exactly do we mean by creativity? If it's such an essential part of who we are, then how do we define it? And if we of flesh and bone no longer have a monopoly on it, what does that say about our future? Cultural historian Samuel Franklin. Creativity is a lovely word. I think it's a a vague and capacious concept that appeals to a lot of things that we value. So I think it appeals to our sense of individual self-expression and individual dignity, that we all kind of have something to say and have something to offer, and that we should strive for a self-actualized existence. So I think creativity sounds like that kind of thing that could get us there. It also sounds like something that can power our economy and does, especially now that a lot of work increasingly around the globe is going toward the production of intellectual property, new designs, new products, new technologies. Creativity sounds like the thing, the kind of active ingredient in all of that. And so it's something that I guess you could say like uh, kindergarten teachers and starving artists can all agree with tech CEOs and economic developers. Of course, they might not all really be talking about the same thing, but the term is capacious enough, I think, to include all of that stuff. Stuff that sometimes might even seem to be intention. Like historically, we've thought about art and commerce as being intention. You know, the bohemians have to exist out on the margins away from capitalism. But creativity somehow has a way of making all of those artistic energies and capitalist development feel like they're all part of the same thing and might be actually mutually reinforcing. And as I'm sure you can imagine, the notion of creativity has a long history. We've been talking about it and exalting it for centuries. Forever. Only we haven't. As Samuel Franklin points out in his book, The Cult of Creativity, it's an invention, and quite a surprisingly recent invention. Creativity, as you said, sounds ancient. Like, it sounds like this thing that's always been with us, that we've always been thinking about. For some reason, the word itself barely appears in English until after World War II. You don't get it at all, as far as lexicographers can tell, before the late 19th century. And 
even then it's used in a very kind of ad hoc way. So it seems like it is in some sense a new thing. Now, of course, there are concepts that are very close to it. Whenever I tell people that creativity is this new word, they say, okay, well, what did we call it before, right? Which is a fair question. So there are concepts like imagination or genius or ingenuity or originality that all predate creativity. But I don't think any of those are completely synonymous with it. And I think in a sense, creativity, the new thing that it does is bring those together in a new kind of way. So it's like genius, but we never would say that everybody has genius. That's kind of a contradiction. Whereas we might say that everybody has creativity or has the potential for creativity. Imagination is something that we often use basically interchangeably with creativity, but it's a bit more open-ended. It doesn't have to result in anything. Whereas creativity, we think of as being something that is a kind of productivity as well, a kind of novel productivity. Because as you indicate there, it has that kind of blend, doesn't it, of being elitist in the sense of the genius, but it's also egalitarian. Everyone can, if they if they put their mind to it, can be creative, we tell ourselves. Yeah, that's right. If you open up a book on creativity, it'll immediately start talking about Picasso or Einstein or Bob Dylan or the Beatles or someone who we you know tend to agree has really um, extraordinary powers of something. Let's call it creativity. And then it will say, and what do all these people have in common? And what do they have in common with you? What can we learn that you can apply in your own life to help you be more creative? And so books about genius don't really do that, right? So creativity, like you said, it, it can have both these connotations of the, the greatest things that we've created, that exceptional individuals have created, and this everyday problem solving and everyday idea generation that many of us are involved in either in our work or just in our everyday lives. And the notion of creativity fits nicely in our 21st century world, says Samuel Franklin, because it appeals to that idea that we're all now entrepreneurs or potential entrepreneurs. You hear mention of the creator economy, and it is incredible how much these platforms like TikTok or YouTube or whatever have turned many of us into creators of content in ways that we never really were before. There's a market, let's say, for people whose job it is to come up with new content, new ideas every day. I think that's part of what creates, let's say, the market for expertise on creativity. Which brings us to the link between consumerism, consumerist capitalism and the notion of creativity, because you you believe there is a line there, don't you? And it reflects the anxieties of the post-Second World War environment in the United States. So when people first started writing about creativity, so the first books and and articles and conferences and, and studies about something called creativity came out of kind of a loose collection of psychologists and research directors, so people who were in charge of research and development laboratories corporate and government, and advertising people, all of whom were in some way devoted to two things. One was the development of American technology for the Cold War, basically, to beat the Russians into the space, to beat them in, in rocket technology, in radar communications technology, etc., and the consumer side. So consumer capitalism was in conjunction with this military-industrial complex, was what ran the United States economy after World War II and made it the most prosperous society in the world at that time. And they were both very important pillars of this 
New World Order. And they both relied on the production of novelty within usually a corporate and highly bureaucratic context. And so people saw that, the bureaucracy, as potentially a threat to innovation. And so they started wondering, can we understand the psychology of invention, the psychology of innovation? And that is really where the idea of creativity came out of. So it came out of a whole economy that was built on the production of novelty, in many cases, consumer novelty. And you know, a lot of that was very substantive things that made our lives better. And a lot of it was just kind of putting a new, you know, new styling, a new skin, a new covering, a new packaging on the same old things. So there was kind of just a, a constant drive to get people to buy new things. And also, I should add, to advertise those things to people. And that's where a lot of these ideas of creativity came from, was from the advertising industry, whose whole job, you could say it is, is to make two identical things seem different. So novelty and differentiation were, were the name of the game. Samuel Franklin, author of The Cult of Creativity. So creativity is a relatively new concept, and it has strong ties to consumer capitalism. It quickly became popular because it spoke to the unique skills and potential that we saw in ourselves as human beings. And then the machines got smarter and more skillful. As we started to develop AI, especially, let's say, starting in about the 80s, people started realizing that actually computers might be able to do things that are indistinguishable from human creativity. Whether or not we think on a metaphysical level it is the same thing, if you submitted it to a, a kind of a test, they might be able to be creative according to the criteria of creating something that is new and useful or new and appropriate. And so that's been known for a long time. And now I think everyone's kind of starting to realize that all at once with the release of mass available generative AI especially because they're now doing things like with the visual and the text space, the chat GPT kind of thing, the large language models, they are starting to create things that read to us as creative. So writing and art are two classically, quote unquote, creative pursuits. So now I think we're starting to worry or it's starting to shake our faith that creativity is something that only humans can ever do. And so I think it's confusing us a bit because for a long time that was really part of our identity and it was part of how we found meaning in our lives was through creative pursuits. And now I think we're starting to wonder whether that is really how we should define what it is to be human or whether there is anything that really can define us as humans. I think it's also shaking the faith that we had in the creative industries, the quote unquote creative industries, which was seen, especially starting in the, in the 1990s, as a really, and this was very true in, in Australia, as well as in the UK and in the US, seen as a source of economic development that would be somewhat stable and sustainable because it's something that couldn't easily be outsourced and couldn't easily be automated. And now, every day, we're seeing more and more jobs just kind of quietly disappear, jobs that were supposed to be secure because they relied on human creativity. For architect and theorist Neil Leach, it's now time for a bit of human introspection, a time for appreciating that the machines we've built to mimic human ability, well, they just might have something to teach us about ourselves. The way the ChatGPT works, surprisingly enough, is it just predicts 
the next word in a sentence. Can you believe that? But out of that, you know, can translate languages and God knows what else. Now, if that really is the heart of language, then maybe what we thought we were doing as humans when we were writing and so on is not as complex as we thought. And maybe it's a straightforward kind of process. Now, what we've discovered is that, you know, in certain areas, for example, in the game of Go, famously, there was this moment in 2016 where the leading Go player in the world, a guy called Lee Sedol, took on a system developed by DeepMind at London at Go. And Go is a really complex game. There are more potential moves in Go than there are atoms in the universe. And yet AI performed extremely well. And it was doing moves that we didn't understand. We thought they were computer glitches, but actually it transpired that maybe 100 moves later, those moves won the game. In other words, it could operate at a level way beyond the human spectrum. And I kind of think of it a bit like the way that maybe a dog can smell or hear way beyond the kind of sense of smell or hearing that humans have. So, And they were saying, well, it's being creative. But then I would ask myself, can a machine be creative? Is it not just simply a straightforward process of search and synthesis? It's looking for the optimal solution to a problem. That's personally what I feel. Therefore, I start asking myself the question, well, are we really truly creative? We use the term creativity the whole time, but is there's a kind of mystique to it, you know? And maybe that process of being creative is a bit like the process that ChatGPT writes an email or something for us. You know, maybe it's simple and quite straightforward and we're adding this layer of mystique because we don't understand it. So I, my suspicion is that creativity is a really something of a straightforward process. It's just because we don't understand the mechanisms that we, we think it's so special. It's a bit like magic in some sense. You know, a, a magician doesn't do magic. You know, a magician performs a magic trick and they're hiding the mechanisms behind the trick. So you think it's magic, but it's not magic. And I suspect that really that what we're talking about here is something that is kind of similar. We just don't understand what's going on but it's quite straightforward. Arthur C. Clarke once made this comment that all sufficiently advanced technologies resemble magic, and I think that's the case. But he also says that magic, or at least he's supposed to have said, magic is just simply science that we don't understand just yet. And I think that creativity might just fall into that category. My name is Tomas Chamorro Premusic, and I'm a professor of business psychology at UCL and Columbia and the chief innovation officer at Manpower Group. I often worry about the motivation of comparing ourselves, humans, to AI or machines. Like, for a long time, you know, we pride ourselves on being the most intelligent species in the animal kingdom. And now it seems we're paranoid and saying, well, AI can do this, but it can't do that. And that's the same, you know, with intelligence, creativity, etc. I mean, I think if you define creativity from an output perspective and you do the, you know, the very simple, famous old Turing rule of can machines produce something that seems indistinguishable from human activity or, you know, produce, to the human eye, trained or untrained, you know? So imagine like a Turing test of creativity. There is no question that AI has basically passed all of the tasks we've given it. It can beat the smartest chess players, alpha gold players. It can finish, you know, Schubert's unfinished symphony. It can improvise like Miles Davis. It can create computer code. It can do pretty much everything that really smart and creative humans do. 
But at the, at the same time, you know, machines will never be creative in the same way humans are. A, because they can never understand anything. They can explain things and they can produce things, but it's always through stochastic or probabilistic permutations of stuff that has been done by humans before. And ultimately, it is always fully dependent on mostly crowdsourcing what humans have done in the past. So by definition, it cannot create something out of the blue or something that you know hasn't been done by a human before. It can synthesize, digest, and extend or adapt or replicate or find variations, if you like, of what humans have done in the past. Now, there is a problem with this, which is that in a way, this is not so different from how humans create. It's always, you know, footnotes to Plato, as the old saying goes, and we never have a mousetrap that is completely new or different from all the previous mousetraps. So again, I think fundamentally, instead of spending so much time worrying about whether AI is creative in the human way or is more creative than humans in terms of output or capacity, I think the fundamental challenge is to work out how we can be more creative by interacting with AI and using AI. So treat AI as another technology, right? I mean, just like musicians change their composition by using synthesizers and not worry too much about whether synthesizers can compose, which actually gave us, you know, something more like elevator music as opposed to amazing musical compositions. And again, you know, just like digital photography didn't kill photographers or photography in the first instance didn't kill painters or visual artists, we need to understand that some humans will work out how to interact with this technology to produce creative things. So just like prompting AI in a creative way will give you something smarter than prompting it in a silly, repetitive, or boring way, the interactions between human and artificial intelligence will probably take creativity to the next level, certainly to a higher level than just ignoring it and becoming a technophobe or you know a Luddite or assuming that it can do things without our input, which will probably give us a sort of microwave of ideas and a synthetic version of creativity that isn't valuable. Maybe because out of the snobberism that, or snobism that makes us value something less if humans didn't have a hand in it and humans weren't in the loop. I think that for a long time, the concept of creativity was actually useful for not so good things. So for example... The exhortation that one should be creative, I think, motivated a lot of workers to accept kind of precarity and lack of good pay and kind of lifestyle that was not healthy for them. For example, you know, staying up all night to finish a project as a freelancer and not having, well, in the U.S., not having, you know, healthcare insurance or whatever, because that was the kind of creative life. That was the life of an, of an artist or something romantic about it. Even the concept of a gig economy kind of makes it seem like everyone who's putting together furniture or driving Ubers are all on their way to a jazz gig or something. So there was something about creativity that was useful, I think, in convincing a lot of people to go along with an emerging system that might call neoliberal capitalism that ended up not being so good for a lot of people. I think it's still useful to imagine better futures, right? So we have clearly a lot of work to do and we need a place to put our hope. I think one thing that happened over the course of the 20th century, and especially after World War II, was this notion of progress as this big thing that society as a whole was tending toward, was challenged by 
the atom bomb by the horrors of the Holocaust and the gulags and the idea that technology and social progress and economic progress were all going hand in hand kind of got chipped away. But it got, I think, redirected into the individual in this form of creativity. So it's a way that we all kind of believe that there is a better world possible. I think that's absolutely true. I just don't think we need to worry so much about whether we're kind of thinking creatively enough. I think there are other more important things like solidarity or courage or moral clarity that I think are going to be more important for making the world a truly better place than just the ability to come up with new ideas. I'm definitely sympathetic to people wanting to to do art, to do work that feels like it's under their control and that they've been able to see a thing through. So I think there's a lot of ideas about what good work should be that are embodied in the idea of creativity. And I think those are things that are absolutely worth fighting for. As Samuel Franklin said earlier in this program, creativity is a vague and capacious concept. It can mean different things to different people. And that means how we define creativity is always open to interpretation. Thomas Chamorro Premovich. I guess it's fair to say that people recognize some of the creative things that others do, but there's a lot of evidence for the unreliability and the serendipity of creative inventions. So oftentimes the difference between something that is admired, rated, and valued economically and socially, and something that actually fails is very hard to quantify in objective terms. So the majority of people think of themselves as more creative than they actually are. And when we try to predict whether something is going to be creative or not, in the sense of being valued by others, it's very hard to actually predict this with any degree of accuracy and objectivity. So what we do know is that creativity is about the ability to come up with things that are both original and useful. And even if we cannot do this in advance, prospectively, retrospectively, we can look at things and say, okay, well, the reason why this was more creative than other things is because it just basically created a new way of doing something. And it had an impact in the sense of breaking with old ways of thinking or doing things in the past. Now, we have a love-hate relationship, don't we, with creativity in a way. And I know you and others have written about this, that particularly companies, you know, say they value creativity in their workforce, but then they also try to stamp it out. They don't want too much creativity. Right. A typical manager will say to their employees, be creative, but hey, make sure it works and don't make any mistakes and don't take unnecessary risks. And by the way, I expect you to do the things that I told you to do. So I think organizations, managers, and leaders, they pay a lot of lip service to creativity. They say they value it and they understand that, you know, it's better to be a disruptor or an innovator than somebody who is disrupted by innovators. But unfortunately, there is a much stronger tendency to reward and incentivize behaviors that replicate what has worked in the past. And by definition, this is the opposite of creativity. I think Jeff Bezos once said, if you know it's going to work, then for sure it's not innovation. And this is why organizations should actually be a little bit more balanced in their tendency to, on the one hand, reward the things that have worked in the past, 
but on the other hand, allow for a healthy degree of mistakes and failures, smart failures actually to occur so that, you know, they can simultaneously bet on the future and not just become a victim of their past success. And creativity by itself is one thing, but it needs to lead to innovation, doesn't it, to have impact? Creativity is simply the ability to produce ideas that are original and useful. But innovation is a practical implementation or application of creativity. The vast majority of creative ideas never become successful or practical innovations. And I always say organizations are awash of ideas. They don't have a shortage of ideas. They, in fact, have probably too many creatives. And if you have too many creative people in a team or an organization, they will actually just fight for who has the best idea. And then when you tend to overestimate the importance that creativity has for innovation, you forget about the most important part. People who have disciplined execution process that can actually take these creative ideas and turn them into actual innovations. And, you know, you need to think about innovation as a set of cultural factors and management processes and really as a method, a rational method or formula for translating creative ideas into innovations. Again, creativity alone might be what we all have when we are discussing you know, our own ruminations or ideas with friends or colleagues over a beer or two at the pub. But when we wake up next day, that's when we have to start with the difficult, diligent and gritty work of actually turning these creative ideas into actual innovations. Creativity is an attribute that many people ascribe to humanity itself. To you know, it, it's part of being human to be creative, and it's a it's a marker of our cleverness as human beings. This is being questioned by some now because of AI. Do you see creativity as being important in defining who we are as a species? Well, I think creativity is a fundamental trait underpinning not just human intelligence and human imagination or human intellect, but who we are as a species. We have always evolved culturally and socially, and cultural and social evolution has always been founded by or on or fueled by our creative inventions. This typically has involved the creation of tools, whether it's fire, the wheel, electricity, cars, the microwave, the dishwasher, Facebook, Twitter, and now AI. AI is the latest version or the mainstream kind of technological invention, innovation of our times. It's itself an extension of human creativity and human curiosity. But the interesting and perhaps unique thing about AI is that it seems to be a tool or technological invention that can itself be creative. So now we wonder whether creativity is uniquely human or it can be synthetic, artificial, and also produced or reproduced by machines. To some degree, this is the wrong question because even if AI can do creative things, that's still testimony or evidence of how impressive human creativity and imagination is. And I think a more important question is how we can keep pushing the boundaries of our creativity and innovation through effective interactions with AI. The example that I often give to my students is that, you know, Spotify probably has so much data on musical preferences that it could automate most, if not all of its artists on its platform. But even if Spotify gave us automated music, 
it will probably push humans to create a new form of music that AI machines cannot do. So there's, on the one hand, this permanent cat and mouse game or race between human creativity. And as soon as it becomes predictable enough, machines, especially AI, can reproduce it and do it to a degree that we cannot you know, distinguish it from just human creativity or imagination. And on the other hand, as soon as that happens, humans then move on to invent something that AI cannot do on its own. Where we are today is that humans working with AI will probably produce something more creative than one working without the other. But at some point, you know, we have to think of what's next, both for AI and humans. And I think that's really what's hard to predict, because if we could, then it wouldn't be creative to begin with. Perspectives on creativity and its role in driving us forward. Today on Future Tense, we heard from Thomas Chamorro Premovich, Neil Leach, and Samuel Franklin. My co creator is Karen Savanovitz. I'm Anthony Fennell. Until next time, cheers. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.